This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The companions arrived at the holy island of Inisgwyn, aboard the Skarne ship, the Uvadraka, under the command of Knut Haraldsson. Upon their arrival, they were coolly greeted by the monastery's abbot, Father Wiglaf, and a younger monk, who we discovered was Knut's brother, Ranolf. Lena requested that the companions might have access to the monastery's famous library, but the cleric failed her charisma role, resulting in Wiglaf refusing her request. Lena begged the abbot to reconsider, and so Wiglaf charged the companions with going to the ruined fortress of Kerudu and recovering a treasure, a gold disc fashioned like a sun. As should they succeed, he would grant them access to the library. The next day, the company sailed west across the Bay of Sorrow, but not before Brother Ranulf and another monk, Brother Cadfael, came with supplies for the companions' journey. Brother Cadfael recounted an ancient verse, which he said may aid them on their quest. On reaching the coast of the region known as the Felbors, Knut declared that he would accompany the companions, and asked for three volunteers to go also. Three of the crew stepped forward, and so with Talion also in tow, the companions started their journey overland towards Kerodu. Chapter 24 Part 1 Day 32 Midday Party status Beric 23 out of 23 hit points Lena 12 out of 16 hit points Kia 10 out of 10 hit points Valen 11 out of 11 hit points Talion 16 out of 16 hit points Knut 20 out of 20 hit points Yora 12 out of 12 hit points Bjorn 12 out of 12 hit points Arn 12 out of 12 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push Shield and Soothe Lena can pray for two first level miracles The company marched in silence under a glowering sky across the wild expanse known as the Felmores. Perhaps it was the dark rain clouds which quickly had moved in from the west that tempered everyone's mood, or maybe it was the vast emptiness which brought a sense of endless solitude. Like the Tainmore, this place was bleak. The coarse scrub consisted mostly of heather, gorse and bracken, which sprang out of wet, peaty soil, and it was only occasionally broken by the crooked form of an ancient willow. The heather was in bloom, 
and its predominance gave the land a purplish hue, which only added to the otherworldliness of the place. Having no firm sense of their destination, save the need to head north, the company kept the coast to the east as they travelled. The going was slow, for there was no path, and the ground uneven with thick clumps of grass. But the company was also wary of unwittingly stepping into a bog. The clouds eventually drew weary of holding back their cargo, and released their burden just as the company crested a hill. From this vantage point, the ruin of Kerudu could be seen in the distance, as the coastline bent around to the west. It was perhaps another three miles as the crow flies, but between them and their destination, in the valley floor below, was a dun-coloured woodland. I don't like the look of that, Kier said, nodding towards the woodland. Neither do I, Beric replied. But it stands between us and our goal. The big man looked up as a flock of coring rooks flew over their heads towards the coast. He felt envious. There was something about being at sea that roused him. Until he had gone to Godsport, he had never seen the ocean, let alone been on a ship. And until the goblins had attacked, his life in Arnfeld had been narrow and sheltered. His voyage on the Siren began an awakening within, but being aboard the Uvertacher did more. It stirred his soul. Never before had he felt such a sense of freedom, and, at the same time, belonging. He could not explain it, other than it felt like home. He shook the thought. There was a task at hand, and he felt compelled to lead it. Well then, he said to the company, let's go. Arnfeld, 23 years ago. Brea ran for cover under a large solitary elder as the clouds opened. She still wore her winter dress, for the mornings remained chill, and the wool quickly became heavy as the rain soaked in. Reaching the bows, she stood panting, catching her breath, while watching the rain fall like ropes from the sky. Springtime in Arnfeld was ever a wet season, situated as the village was in a wide vale. The surrounding hills attracted any passing rain cloud, which would then unburden itself upon the valley below. The villagers did not mind. It meant the vale was rich and fertile, and provided some of the best land for raising sheep and growing crops anywhere in the realm. And that brought prosperity. Brea's father owned 50 acres, and was a prominent member of the community. His holdings had been greater, but Brea's father had recently given 25 acres to her sister, Bronna, who had recently married. Brea herself would soon turn 18, and her father was already making talk of finding her a suitable husband. Marriage, though, was the last thing on Brea's mind. While she was grateful for the life that her father gave her, she longed for more. She wanted to see the world. She longed for adventure. She wrung as much of the water as she could from her mousy brown hair, and wondered how long the shower might last. She often liked to wander before her chores began, and this place, by the river, was one of her favourite haunts. The river was wide and deep enough to sail a small barge, with the folk of Arnfeld used to transport the wool that would eventually end up in Godsport, or perhaps even further, 
to strange far-off places with names that she could not pronounce. Brea looked across the river to the large hill beyond the western bank. Sheep grazed lazily in the pasture, seemingly unbothered by the downpour. They could even be seen halfway up the hill's incline. Suddenly the rain ceased as quickly as it had arrived, and the sun peeped back out from behind the clouds. Almost immediately the sound of nesting songbirds filled the sky once again. The air had the pleasant, earthy aroma that always came after the rain. Brea breathed deeply, and then began to walk back along the river towards the village. The field on this side of the river had been left to lie fallow, and the long damp grass tickled her calves and quickly caused her shoes to become wet through. Hail! A man's voice rang out. Brea spun around. On the river was a boat, or rather a small open ship, whose prow rose up, though a sackcloth concealed whatever was on its tip. How had she not heard the vessel approach? At least three dozen men and women sat pulling at the ship's oars as it slowly glided upstream. The man who called stood at the stern, smiling and waving. He was young, perhaps a similar age as her. He was dressed in a blue woolen tunic and wore a bearskin cloak about his shoulders. His long hair was plaited and the wispiness of his beard belied his youth. He stood next to an older, muscular man whose tattooed arms were thick with arm rings, and his face bore the scars of many battles. The whole scene struck Brea as strange and exotic. As the ship passed her, Brea hesitantly waved back before hitching the hem of her dress and running towards the village. By the time she reached Arnfeld, the village was alive with the business of trade and barter, as the new arrivals exchanged silver for wool and grain. That night, a feast was held in the Tithe Barn to celebrate the day's business. The strangers said their people were known as the Skarne, and they claimed to be from a cold land far to the north. Despite their fierce appearance, they bore objects of fine craftsmanship that belied a depth of culture. Their leader, the large tattooed man, was called Ragnar, and the younger man was his son, Einar. And whilst they claimed to be traders, it was clear that these Skarne were no strangers to war. Brea stepped outside into the cool night air and looked up at the star-filled sky. She was captivated by these strange folk. They described in detail the far-off lands that she had only dreamed of. Beautiful. A voice startled her. It was Einar. He came and stood beside her. The stars. He clarified. Brea felt her cheeks flush. Yes. She agreed. We used them to guide our ships. Einar pointed to a solitary star between two constellations. There. That's Nordstierna, the North Star. I've never been on a ship. I've never left the village. Brea admitted she felt foolish and naive. A cold gust of wind blew and made her shiver. Here. Einar turned to her, took off his bearskin cloak, and wrapped it about her shoulders. It was warm from the heat of his body. She looked up at his forget-me-not coloured eyes. As I said, beautiful.
The wise woman wiped the blood from her hands with a rag before picking up the swaddled child from the crib. Nine months had passed since the Scarni had come to Arnfeld. Soon after, Brea discovered that she was with child. Her father was furious and hastily tried to arrange a marriage to a local boy, but when his family found out that Brea was pregnant, the betrothal was called off and her shame was known throughout the village. The old woman passed the child to Brea, who weakly took him and brought his mouth to her breast. The infant latched immediately and began to suckle. The moment Brea had seen him, she loved him, with every ounce of her being. This tiny, fragile child, whose existence brought humiliation to her family, and who now killed her. But she loved him anyway. Brea turned her head to Bonner, who sat by the bedside sobbing gently, as the bedsheets became increasingly soaked with her blood. Brona. Her sister looked up, tears rolling down her cheeks. Promise me. Brea asked. Promise me that you'll protect him. Raise him like your own. Bonner nodded, and mouthed the words, for she was too distraught to speak. Telling him I loved him, but not of the shame I caused. Bonner nodded again. For a moment, the image of Einar's bearskin flickered into Brea's mind. And he shall be named Beric. She turned her head back to her son. His eyes were open, looking up at her as he suckled. It means little bear, she said softly, looking into her baby's forget-me-not coloured eyes as her own darkened. Chapter 24, Part 2, Day 32, Afternoon, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. The companions drew their cloaks about them in a futile attempt to stay dry as they made their way down into the wooded valley. As they came closer to the tree line, it was clear that there was something unnatural about the place. The trees, which were willows, were blackened, bent and twisted, and bore no sign of bud or catkin. They stood like petrified crones, frozen in the depths of a perpetual winter. There was no indication of birds or beasts, and the ground was covered in a thick litter, as though no insect lived that might aid its decomposition. The whole woods seemed barren and lifeless, as if locked in time. I have heard of this place, Talion said breaking the uneasy silence. It is known as Maukus, the Deadwood. That sounds about right, Keir muttered. What know you of this place? Beric asked. Only that his name is spoken with fear. How did I know you were going to say that? Keir responded. I don't like it, Beric. Neither do I, the big man replied. But there's nothing else for it. Come on. The company continued, though in the density of the wood, they could not be certain that they held their course. They moved as silently as they could, weapons readied lest they be beset by some foul denizen of this cursed place, 
After some time, the rain stopped, and shortly, the trees opened, revealing a small lake. The water was black and impenetrable, but unlike the rest of the wood, in this place, there were signs of life. Floating on the water were patches of bright green algae. Insects could be seen darting here and there, and there was even foxborn floating close to the lake's surface. It was an oasis in a desert of death. A narrow causeway some 60 feet in length led to a small island in the centre, upon which was a thicket of willows. These trees were not blighted like those elsewhere in the wood. Their bark was a healthy grey-brown colour, and their branches bore an abundance of leaf. We should rest here and take food, Beric suggested. That island looks defensible, and this place seems immune to the malady that plagues the wood. The others nodded their agreement, and the company proceeded along the causeway. Whilst it was wide enough to walk two abreast, Beric led the company in single file. Ahead, on the island, there were signs that others before had used the place as a campsite. Who else would be mad enough to pass through Marokus? Big Man thought. As they came closer to the island, Beric caught sight of bones scattered upon the ground. At first he made out the remains of goats and sheep, but then he felt the familiar sinking feeling in the pit of his stomach as his eyes came to rest on several human skulls. Wait! Before Beric could finish his word, something enormous burst from the water. A huge serpentine form rose up, sending water and algae showering over the company. Its monstrous body was as thick as a mature oak, and just like a tree with its boughs, this creature's trunk split into multiple necks, each bearing a reptilian head with jaws filled with razor-sharp teeth. It reared up, each head opening its maw, and a cacophony of terror filled the air. Entering combat. Back in episode 23, I rolled a 1 for stumble upon during this part of the journey to Kerodu. Whereas a stumble upon roll of 20 indicates something particularly good, a roll of 1 is the opposite, and this encounter is the result. This monstrous creature is a Hydra, a creature related to both dragons and giant snakes. Hydras come in different types, some walk on land, others swim in the ocean but what they have in common is multiple dragon-like or serpentine heads. This one is what I've called a Marsh Hydra, which is defined by its limbless serpentine body and its preference for inhabiting wetlands. According to the basic expert rules, Hydras have 1d8 plus 4 heads and one hit die per head. So let's go ahead and find out how powerful this creature is. Rolling a d8, a 2, meaning this Hydra has 6 heads and therefore 68 hit points. Let's work that out now. 29. That's above the half min out. Whilst the party have been lucky with the number of heads, Hydras are incredibly dangerous foes. They have an ascending armor class of 14, and each round they can make one bite attack per head, each dealing a whopping 1d10 points of damage. As this Hydra is a 6 hit dice monster, it also receives a plus 6 for each attack. Now, the party have some retainers, so let's stat those up. I've already rolled up stats for both Knut and Talion, so I just need to do so for Yora, Jorn and Arn. To keep it simple, I'm going to treat them all the same, and say that they are second level fighters. So as such, they will have 1d8 plus 8 hit points. A 4. Okay, they'll all have 12 hit points. Each wears male armour, 
and carries a spear and shield, as well as a hand axe, meaning they will deal 1d6 points of damage and have an ascending armor class of 15. Right, let's get to it. As the Hydra has laid in wait for prey, I am only going to check whether the party are surprised. A roll of 1 or 2 means they are. Here we go. A 1! Oh no, this isn't good. The Hydra will get a free round to attack. Round 1. No initiative as the party are surprised. For each of the Hydra's attacks, I am going to randomly roll who the target will be. There are 9 in the company, so I will use a d10, and if I roll a 10, then I'll just roll again. The first attack will be against... A 4. Oh no, that's Phelan. Our mage's armor class is just 10, and so with its attack bonus, the Hydra needs to only roll a 4 or more to hit. Here is the roll. A 10. 4. 8 points of damage. The head snaps down, and the Hydra's razor-sharp teeth tear into the mage's flesh. Phelan screams. Phelan is down to 3 hit points. The second head will attack. A 5. That's Talion. Now I am using a customised version of the Bard class, as presented in the Old School Essentials and Bard set, which itself is based on AD&D, but more on that later, providing Talion lives. The Bard is wearing leather, and amazingly, when I rolled his stats, he got an 18 in dexterity. Altogether, this gives him an armour class of 15. He has 16 hit points, and he is armed with a sword and carries a bow. Now with its attack bonus, the Hydra needs to roll a 9 or more to hit. A 9, 4, 8 points of damage. The Hydra's jaws tear into Talion's leg and the Bard screams aloud. The third head will attack. An 8, that's Bjorn. The Hydra will need a 9 or more to hit. A 6, the Skarnay fighter just manages to get his shield up in time to protect himself. The fourth head will attack. It's Bjorn again. Can the fighter's luck hold? Let's find out. A four. As Bjorn ducks down, the Hydra's teeth snap where his head was just a moment ago. The fifth head will attack. A one. That will be Beric. Against the warrior, the Hydra will need to roll a nine or more. A thirteen. Four. Three points of damage. The Hydra's teeth rake across the big man's thigh, opening a vicious cut. Ooh. The sixth head will attack. A three. Oh no, that's Kia. This is a dangerous moment for our rogue. The Hydra needs just a seven to hit, and Kia has the fewest hit points of the party. Here is the roll. An eighteen. Now, my house rule means that characters reaching exactly zero hit points will become unconscious rather than dead, but that would still be bad. Rolling the damage on a d10. A nine! Oof! The Hydra's jaws rip into Kier's shoulder. Blood sprays from the wound as the rogue screams in pain. Ah! Kier is down to just one hit point. Round two. The party are in serious trouble. Several of the characters are close to death and are unlikely to survive another onslaught. It is imperative they win the next initiative. Here we go. The Hydra. A four. The party. Also a four. This is bad. All actions will happen simultaneously, meaning that any killed character will still get an action. I'm going to do things a bit out of order, but hopefully this will make sense. 
First of all, due to their injuries, Balin, Kier and Talion will all flee back down the causeway, and so will Lena. She is previously injured, and as the party's healer, I need to try and keep her alive. The basic expert will state that when characters flee, a reaction roll is made for the monster to see whether it decides to pursue. Here is the roll on 2d6. A 10! That's the kind of luck we need. Having said that, I'm going to keep all those characters as potential targets this round, but in any subsequent rounds, the Hydra will focus on the remaining characters. Okay, so now I'm going to resolve the Hydra's attacks. The first head will attack. A 9, that's Arn. The Hydra will need a 9 or more to hit. A 9, 4, 1 point of damage. As Arn goes low, the Hydra snaps forward, grazing the fighter's arm. The second head will attack. Bjorn. A 15 is a hit fall. 4 points of damage. Having fended off the two previous attacks, the Hydra finally finds an opening, biting into Bjorn's right shoulder. The third head will attack. It's Talion. A nine or more will hit the bard. A six. Talion dodges at the last moment, narrowly avoiding the Hydra's jaws. The fourth head will target. It's Talion again. Will the bard's luck hold? A two. Talion is able to get enough distance between him and the Hydra as he runs down the causeway to safety. The fifth head attacks. A two, that's Lena. It looks like the Hydra is sensing weakness in the fleeing characters. It will need a nine or more to hit the cleric. A four. Lena grabs both Phelan and Kia, pulling them down the causeway. She twists out of the way just as the Hydra snaps forward. Finally, the sixth head will attack. Oh no, it's Phelan. The mage is down to just three hit points. If this blow lands, the chances are he will be killed. The Hydra needs to roll just a four or more. If ever the mage needs a miracle, it's now. Here is the roll. A two! How on earth did he get away with that? Lena pulls Valen back, leaving the Hydra to snap at air, just where the mage's head had been a moment before. The danger is not over though, and now only Beric, Canute and the three Skarne warriors stand before this formidable foe. First up, Beric. With his strength bonus, the warrior needs to roll a 12 or more. Here is the roll. Nat 20! Now that's what I'm talking about. Barret will do maximum damage, plus an additional die, plus his strength bonus. Wow, that will be 16 points of damage. That could not have come at a better time. The big man strikes down at the two heads attacking Lena and Valen. They are close enough together that Beric severs both with a single blow. The two neck stumps flail wildly, drenching the party in blood, before falling limp. Knut swings his sword at the head attacking Bjorn. The Skarne leader has a plus two strength bonus, so he also needs a 12 or more. A 14, for a total of... Eight points of damage. As the Hydra bites down on Bjorn's shoulder, Knut hacks at the neck, severing the head. Blood gushes violently from the stump, splattering over Bjorn and Knut. The Hydra is down to five hit points, and three of its heads have been severed which also reduces the number of attacks it can make. Yora thrusts her spear. The fighter needs a 14 or more to hit. An 11. 
In the commotion and narrowness of the causeway, Yora cannot land a blow. Bjorn attacks, also needing a 14. But with a 7, he misjudges the blow, which gave the Hydra its opening. Only Arn left. He needs a 14. An 18! Four! Five points of damage! That's enough! Having gone low, the Skarne warrior drives his spear forward into the exposed body of the Hydra. The spearhead pierces the creature's lung. Its remaining heads let out a gasping sound, and its huge form slumps lifelessly to the floor. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Once again, where would I be without my fantastic cast of voice actors? And this episode has some amazing talent. First up, a newcomer to the show, playing the role of Brea, is Naomi Clark. Naomi is an award-winning writer, podcaster, and creator. You can find Naomi on Twitter at NaomiThinksIt or at NaomiThinksIt.card.co. That's card spelt C-A-R-R-D dot co. Playing opposite Naomi in the role of Einar is fellow newcomer J. Brandon Payne. Brandon is a professional musician and voice actor who graciously agreed to play the part. You can find Brandon on SoundCloud by searching for J. Brandon Payne. Payne is spelt P-A-I-N-E. And you can also contact him via email at jbpayne at gmail.com. My sincere thanks to both of you for elevating the show with your contributions. I truly am grateful. I'll put links to Naomi and Brandon's pages on the show notes. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really cannot beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legendofthebones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. I'd also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Mastodon at LegendBones at ttrpg-hangout.social, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to LegendOfTheBones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. It begins as terrible things often do with a knife. People of Herta, chosen children of the knife, a lost soul has come to us. I'm not sure if I can do this. It's always better if you just do it quick. You came to St Kilda to escape your past, but the past isn't so easy to outrun. You always say you're changing, but underneath you're just the same. She was a child, Loki. You liar! Did you really believe this community would accept you? I think you're meant to be here. A little bird told me that you're a liar. All of this, it comes with a cost, Lucky. 
Did you really believe you could find redemption? The time for excuses is over. The Secret of St. Kilda. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to season one now, and remember, there is no change without sacrifice.